15.33, where it says, Do not be deceived, don't deceive yourself. Bad company corrupts good morals, right? That's a, a principle that we need to keep in mind. So when we're talking about unity, I think it's important to let the Bible speak here and, and speak to us through the words of truth. In Romans 3, verses 10 through 12, it says, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside together, they have become worthless. No one does good, no, not one. Paul's in the midst, we've been studying Romans, and he's in the midst of making the point that, look, everybody is in need of salvation from Jesus, but that we're not to have fellowship with those who will not accept the gospel. Solomon wasn't the exception, and we aren't the exception either. I'm not the exception, you're not the exception. When you entangle yourself with non-believers, you are asking for trouble. You are asking to be brought down and to slip into sin and problems. Second Corinthians six seventeen and 18 says, Therefore, go out from their midst to be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. I will welcome you and I will be a father to you and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. That passage doesn't say stay in among them and get just as close as you can to the unclean thing. It's saying we need to separate from them. Now that's not saying in the sense that you know the Amish have done where they're, they're going to go live in a separate society and they're not going to evangelize or interact with the world. We are in the world, but we're not of the world. We look at Job eleven fourteen. If iniquity is in your hand, put it far away, and let not injustice dwell in your tent. I think some believe, or some have this philosophy of where iniquity needs to be brought near. I need to get just as close as I can. What's the line that I can I cannot cross to where I'm still okay? Uh, I used, there used to be a sticker. Maybe you've seen this sticker. It says, how much can I get away with and still go to heaven? Right? Is that the philosophy we ought to have? It's like, I just I just want to barely make it in to heaven. As long as I barely make it in, I'm okay. I want to get away with as much stuff as I can, get just as close to being filthy with the pigs as I can, but not get dirty, right? That's what a lot of people's mindset is. And 2 John 9 through 11 says, Whosoever transgresses and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any of you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed. For he that abideth him or biddeth him good speed is partaker of his evil deeds. This is a direct command not to fellowship with denominations, right? And then 2 Thessalonians 3, 14 and 15 gives direction about those of the faith that take up a false position. It says, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him, that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. So while we need to be courteous and kind in dealing with all people, it says here we should never act towards those in error in such a way that suggests to them that we do not consider their error as being a serious matter. In other words, if somebody's soul is in jeopardy, we need to take that seriously, both in the church and outside of the church. We care 
about people's souls, right? We care about whether they're going to go to heaven or whether they're going to go to hell. And having fellowship with denominations is inconsistent with God's word. It's inconsistent with all those verses that we just read and and many more. Those who participate in fellowship with denominations are saying by their actions, it's all right for you to preach that sinners are saved before baptism, without water baptism. It's, It's all right for you to do that in your building. We'll do this in our building. And when we get together, we just won't talk about that. And it'll be okay. We want to have unity. That's not okay. People's souls are in danger. When we're talking fellowship, we mean in a holy and religious activity. That is worship. That is evangelism. That is reaching out to help people through benevolence. All of these activities that the church participates in, we should not fellowship, throw in our lot with, denominations. And that does not, as I already said, mean we should completely remove ourselves from society, because if we're not in the world, we can't help the world. But we have to separate ourselves spiritually. There are four reasons that I want to go over today that we should not fellowship with denominations. And the first of those is that Oh, there's all the verses I said, by the way. I meant to put that up on the screen. I'll leave it up for just a second. All right, the the first is that the Church of Christ is not a denomination. Having fellowship with denominations implies that it is, that we are just another denomination. It implies that we view ourselves as just another church, just the church of your choice. We choose to be in this church and not a different church. Well, it's true that we choose this church, but it's not a preference. We choose this church because it's the church that's talked about in the New Testament. We are striving to be the New Testament church, the church that Jesus paid for with his blood. People who participate in fellowship like this are cheapening the church. They say that the Church of Christ was just born... During the American Restoration Movement, they were trying to restore the first century church. That's why we need to teach lessons like I taught a few months ago about the history of the church and how the the church was founded in Acts chapter 2. The Church of Christ is not a denomination. It is the church that Jesus paid for with his blood. We should not cheapen it by saying it is a division of that church. It is a denomination of that church. It is that church. It was founded in Acts chapter 2, not in the American Restoration Movement. Now, it gained popularity during the American Restoration Movement, but the church never died out. The church was alive, and sometimes in hiding, but sometimes not so much in hiding, sometimes facing great persecution throughout all of history. And it was not killed and then brought back in the Restoration Movement. Our, our Lord's Church was not invented, invented in America in the Back to the Bible movement of the 1800s. Our Lord's Church was founded in Acts chapter 2 after his resurrection and on the day of Pentecost by the apostles preaching the truth after they received the Holy Spirit. A second reason is that people in denominations have not obeyed 
the gospel. And having fellowship with them implies that we think that they have, that they are okay. Right? They're not okay. If you have not obeyed the gospel, you are not going to heaven. You have to obey the gospel. The statement that there are sincere, knowledgeable, and devout Christians spread out, scattered among the denominations, that there are, there are saved people all over the place and all these denominations, they're sincere. You can be sincere and be sincerely wrong. Paul was sincere, right, as he persecuted the church. But he was sincerely wrong. And he found out and he obeyed the gospel. In order to be added to the Lord's church, you have to be added to the church by God. Into the church, you have to do, to do that, you have to do what the Bible says to do. If you have joined a church, or were voted into that church, or any other kind of man-made construct to get into a church, where they added you to their church, that is denominationalism. And that is separate from what the New Testament teaches. And look, they say you teach this salvation of works, that you have to work. All of their criteria for salvation is also a work. Confession is a work. Repentance is a work, right? Having faith is a work, all right? But baptism is also a work, but it is not your work. I was thinking about this uh, all week. This thought of, I was reading Colossians. Look at Colossians 2.12. And Colossians 2.12 says, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him from the dead. Did Jesus raise himself from the dead? The answer is no, he did not. God raised him from the dead. All right? And baptism, it says here, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him, through the faith of the operation of God. It is a work. Baptism is a work of God to add you to Christ, to add you into the church. Look at Romans 6. It says the same thing. Romans 6 verse 4, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, and that like uh, as Christ was raised up from the dead, Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so, we should walk in newness of life. I think that word glory, sometimes we miss what that means. The, words, the word doxa. It means amazing power, amazing might. By the amazing might of God, he raised Jesus from the dead. And we participate in that through the amazing might of God in baptism to be added to Christ in his resurrection. It's an operation of God, and to fellowship with denominations who don't preach that, who claim that we're saying we work our way to heaven, which we do not teach, is cheapening the salvation that Jesus paid for with his blood and with his life. We cannot do that. We cannot cheapen what Jesus paid for with his blood. The church is a beautiful thing. And when God adds us to Christ and he seals us with the Spirit, we are covered with the blood. Even if 
we still fall, even if we still occasionally sin, as long as we are walking in the light and we are trying to fix those things, the blood of Christ continually cleanses us. But you can, of course, fall away. It is possible to leave Christ and go back into a life of sin. Well, the third reason that I do not think we should fellowship with denominations is that worship unauthorized by God is a very serious sin. This is not a new thing. This is a a true thing all the way back in the Old Testament, all the way back to the garden. Worshiping God in a way that he says not to worship, doing what God says not to do, uh, right after the garden, Cain and Abel, right? One of them presented an acceptable sacrifice and one didn't. And God tells Cain, well, if you had done what told you to do, your sacrifice would be acceptable as well, right? But worshiping God in an unauthorized way always leads to trouble. It always is sin. And this idea that when we fellowship with them and they're worshiping God in ways that are not authorized, it's not just talking about instrumental music, although that's the easy one to look at, right? But it's in any number of ways that they worship incorrectly, not according to the scripture, not according to truth. God refused to accept the worship of Cain in Genesis 4. Nadab and Abihu, they lost their lives because they offered fire that God had not commanded. He told them specifically how to worship him. They didn't do it, and they were killed. It's very serious. What does this say about worship? God takes worship seriously. I mean, we're here today to worship him and to grow and to fellowship and to encourage one another. But primarily, we are here to worship God in the way that he has asked us to worship him. Now, the instrumental music is the simple one to turn to, right? And people say, oh, you just don't like pianos or guitars. That's not true. I love instrumental music. I I play guitar. I, I enjoy it very much. If you ask me to set up a church and how I would like to worship, I would love to play guitar in church. That's what I would like to do. But it's not up to me. God didn't ask me what I thought when he set up worship, right? And so I need to worship God the way he says to worship him. Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4, 24, that God is spirit. And those that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So there's truth, and his word is truth. We have to worship God according to his truth, his word. Jesus also said, but in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. That's Matthew 15 and verse 9. So it's possible to vainly worship God. You can be sincere, but you are vainly worshiping him because you are doing it according to commandments of men instead of commandments of God. And 2 John 9 says, whosoever transgresses and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God, right? We are to abide in the doctrine of Christ. How can we do that if we are not worshiping in a way that is authorized by Christ and by God? 
So how would one transgress the doctrine of Christ? Well, you would transgress it by worshiping in some way that's not authorized or not worshiping in the way that is authorized. And when we have fellowship with those in denominations who are worshiping in ways not authorized by the New Testament, we are saying that it really doesn't matter. We are cheapening our worship to God. We're saying it doesn't matter how you worship. You can be sincere and God accepts that worship. That's not true. God accepts worship according to how he has laid it out. And finally, four, we should not have fellowship with denominations because they do not teach the doctrine of Christ. And fellowship with them implies that they do. If we fellowship with people who are not abiding in the doctrine of Christ, as we just read in 2 John 9 through 11, that's what is the doctrine of Christ? It is the teaching of Christ. If you're not abiding in the doctrine or teaching of Christ, then you don't have God. Whoever abides in the doctrine, the teaching of Christ, has both the Father and the Son. So if you are not abiding in the doctrine of Christ, how can we have fellowship with you? How can we say... You're okay. I mean, we know that you you haven't obeyed the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus died for. You haven't been added to the church by God after baptism. But you're okay. We can't say that. We can't let people think that we think that's okay. It's important that they come to an understanding. And we don't do it out of bitterness or, or hate. We do it out of love. We want people to come to understand. We want people to go to heaven. Look, we had a debt. We had a debt we couldn't pay, right? Sin? It was a weight on us. And Jesus paid it and lifted that weight up of our shoulders. And so now we have a debt to Christ, right? To teach others this wonderful thing that we have. We have salvation through the gospel. It's wonderful. You can have it too. That's what we want for people. We can't let people think they're okay and just blindly go to hell. Some say that the doctrine of Christ is just that Christ is divine. And we all are Christians. We're all worshiping Christ. How can you abide, live, set your philosophy on that? That's not the doctrine of Christ. It's not that he's divine. Certainly Jesus is divine, but you can't abide in that. The same construction is also found in Acts 2.42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. All right, So they're abiding in the apostles' doctrine, which they received from Christ. Right? Well, the apostles weren't divine, so it can't be that. It's the teaching of the apostles and the teaching of Christ. Those in denominations do not teach the doctrine of Christ. They do not teach the doctrine of Christ with reference to the church. They don't teach the doctrine of Christ in reference to the plan of salvation or on the subject, action, and design of baptism, which is God's power putting us in to Christ. They don't teach the doctrine of Christ with reference to the kind of music we are to have in worship, but also in 
other aspects of worship, including giving, including preaching, including singing, including prayer. And they don't teach the doctrine of Christ in reference to the Lord's Supper and communion. They don't teach the doctrine of Christ in reference to wearing human names, such as Luther, Lutheran, or by being identified by an action like baptism, Baptist. Right? That isn't how God wanted the church identified. It is the church of Christ because he paid for it. And they do not teach the doctrine of Christ in reference to giving men false titles, such as father or reverend or pastor. The term pastor is meant to be elder. It's the same term as elder or shepherd. And there are qualifications given to that in 1 Timothy 3 and in Titus. And most of the people that the world calls pastor do not meet those qualifications. And that is not what they mean by it. They mean it as one shepherd who's usually the preacher who is leading that congregation. That's not how Jesus told us to set up the church. So how can they teach all of this wrong but abide in the doctrine of Christ? Do they teach some truth? Probably. They probably teach you should love your neighbor, right? And that you should pray to God, right? So they teach some truth. But they are departed so far from the truth, from the doctrine of Christ, that it cannot possibly create unity with God's people. Look, we should do all that's humanly possible to teach those in denominations the truth and lead them out of their error. Many people have never seen it. It's plain in the New Testament. People can be taught out of their error simply by reading the New Testament. You don't have to go up to people and say, look, you're wrong about this and this and this and this, and here's the Bible verses to prove it. No, you study with people in love and truth, and you approach it slowly, and you let them gain the knowledge. They will realize, they will start questioning, well, why does this say this, but my church does this? This says baptism is necessary for salvation. First Peter 3.21 says baptism now saves you. Well, I, I was taught I was, I was saved before I was baptized. People will realize it as they start being presented with the truth. Many people are just living in ignorance and accepting what their pastor or reverend or father have have taught them. So it's our duty to go out and teach the truth. And we should do that lovingly, but we can never do that. We can never show them their serious error and that it's a serious matter if we're just fellowshipping with them and patting them on the back and saying everything's okay. Everything is not okay. And they have to realize that and realize their error. And it's up to us to teach that in a loving way and bring them to Christ to gain the same thing that we have gained, the wonderful salvation that can be found in Jesus. Look, life's tough, right? It's tough For Christians, just like it's tough for non-Christians, but Christians have the hope of eternal life with Jesus. Eternal life with God the Father. And eternal life with the Spirit. And we need to do all that we can to teach that to others. To give that hope 
to them and let them be assured of salvation as we are. But today, if you haven't obeyed the gospel, you've never let God work his might power in through baptism in in reenacting that resurrection of Christ, of participating with Jesus in the resurrection through baptism and being added to the church, we would encourage you to do that this morning. If you have questions, we would be happy to study with you. But if you have obeyed the gospel, and I was thinking about this too, there are a lot of things this could fall into. Maybe you have sinned in the past, and that's hanging over you. You're, You're feeling guilty and bad about something, a public sin, You need to make that right through confession, repentance, and prayer. Maybe it's a living condition that you're in. Maybe it's a habit that you've let come into your life or an addiction or or some other kind of living situation that's ongoing that you need to make right. That can be tough, right? Sometimes it's a little easier. If you've sinned in the past and you're not doing that continually or on on a continual basis, that's a little bit easier because the repentance just means you're not going to do that again. But if you're in the habit of something or you're continuing in sin, confession, repentance, and prayer works there too. But it can be a continual draw, a continual pull. We will help you. We will be there with you and for you. We'll study with you. We'll encourage you. We'll be an accountability partner. Whatever you need, we will be there. Your brothers and sisters want to help you, want to get you back on the right path. If either one of those is the case for you this morning, don't go away lost. Come, make it known as we stand and as we sing.